Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Welcome to the Indie Cider Podcast. My name is Ken Gagne, your host, and this week I'm speaking with Luke Whitaker, director of State of Play Games, developer of Lumino City. Lumino City was released in 2014 for Steam, and just recently for iOS and tvOS, that being the new operating system for the fourth generation Apple TV. That's the platform on which I've been playing the game provided to me by the developer. Lumino City is a point-and-click adventure game. It is the sequel to the 2012 game Loom, and Lumino City continues the adventures of Lumi, a young woman who lives with her granddad. In Lumino City, her granddad has been kidnapped, and it's up to you to guide her through Lumino City on her quest to discover who did this dastardly deed and how she can get her granddad back. This point-and-click interface is very simple. It's literally just point-and-click. There is no keyboard, no joystick. Just move to the part of the screen you want to examine or where you want to send Lumi, and she will go there and look and report back on what she finds. There is an inventory in which you can add items, but there are no red herrings. Every item you pick up will have use, whether it's a map or a lemon or what have you. It's a very pretty, accessible, and family-friendly game, although I did sometimes find the puzzles a little challenging. Unlike some point-and-click games, I didn't see a way to just suddenly highlight all the interactive parts of the set, so I sometimes didn't know what I was overlooking. But it's worth tackling those occasional challenges to experience the beauty that is Lumino City, because this game is designed in a way you would not believe. When I first started playing it, I thought, wow, these graphics are really pretty. The 3D modeling is really good. Then I realized that it is not, in fact, a 3D digital model. The creators of this game, just four individuals, spent an entire year building the actual physical set, Lumino City. They then spent just a single day filming every angle and every set that they would need, and then overlaid their game onto this film of this physical place. Lumino City is an actual city. A very small one, of course, but nonetheless one that they built with their own hands, not using code or programming. That impresses me not necessarily because it's harder or better, in my opinion, than 3D modeling, but because it's so unusual. Growing up, I had claymation games on Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64, like Clay Fighter, and Armacrog just recently came out and revisits that kind of game. But that is a long span of time, about 20 years between those two examples I just mentioned. There aren't a lot of games being made this way, and this is the only game I can think of that was made this way without claymation. And so today's interview with Luke focuses especially on the art and craft of Lumino City. If you'd like to check the game out for yourself via Steam or the Apple App Store, you can go to luminocitygame.com. And of course, you can follow the IndieCider podcast at indiesider.net, where you can find videos of this game being played paired with the interview you're about to hear. Feel free to follow us on Twitter as well at GameBits, where you can recommend games for future episodes of IndieCider. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you for sticking with us through our holiday hiatus. Turns out developers take the holidays off too, but we are back in action and ready to offer you more insightful indie developer interviews. Today I'm chatting with Luke Whitaker, director of State of Play Games. Hello, Luke. Hello. So happy to have you on the IndieCider show. Lumino City is a game not like any other. Oh, thanks. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's definitely not made like any other. No, I can imagine not. You slaved on this game for literally years. It finally came out for Steam in 2014 and for iOS and tvOS in 2015. Are you still working on the game, or is this finally the end of your long journey? Well, uh, I mean, there's always more platforms. Um, 
at the moment we're taking a break from developing it for another platform but of course there's android there's possible consoles um but you know we we need to also focus on promoting it for you know the the platforms we got it out for at the moment there's only uh, four of us so we have a limited amount of time and yeah, so we're, that, that's what we're doing. We've also got some other projects on as well. Excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing more about those. But I want to know a little bit more about the background of Lumino City, this design approach that you use of crafting an actual physical city is, like I said, very unusual and very rare. And I'm curious to know if you had any sort of inspiration or precedence that suggested to you that this kind of design was even possible, or if you were, as far as you knew, breaking new ground. What sort of games or other designs did you look to for inspiration to let you know that video games like this are even possible? Mm. Well, I'd seen some things like this. There's, um, you know, The Neverhood came out in the 90s, which was all claymation um and i looked at some of these things and just thought well yeah that's that's great but now you know we could push this even further um and i mean it wasn't a you know it wasn't all based around wanting just to do better than that or whatever it was it was almost like a little internal process we had of how can we tell the best story so it went initially from something that was hand drawn into something that was three-dimensional. So there was literally a, almost like a three-stage process that, well, we didn't know where it was going, but I can look back and go, okay, first stage was drawing. Second stage, I cut out those drawings and took a photograph of them. And when that created some lovely effects with, you know, in camera, then we moved on to doing it, you know, with, um, with the camera. And I thought, well, I can actually move the camera as well. So there was a certain amount of, yeah, just going at it and working out that, um it was possible but it was uh, it was also you know probably standing on a bit of solid ground seeing that it was done as far far back as the the 90s i mean most people when they see a game like this they imagine that it would have been easier to just go with 3d art and digital animation and do everything in the realm of a computer but you actually spent an entire year building a physical city was that because you thought it was better or easier or just different it was, I feel it's better. Um, I mean, personally, I've always made art by hand. Um, and, you know, given the option between learning 3D programming and doing stuff by hand, I've always done stuff by hand. So a lot of the games that we've made uh, and that we made up until Lumino City were all two-dimensional, but I would somehow make it three-dimensional. So, you know, um, there's a game that we made called Headspin Storybook that, where I was making what looks like a clockwork uh, pop-up book, but it was kind of faked, so it, it, it had perspective and all that, and but all the elements were hand-drawn. Um, so anyway, yeah, I feel like doing it, doing these models by hand gives an element of personality and something extra that you just can't get doing a computer model. Like you can see you know, the model maker's hand in it and you can see the intention of the artist a whole lot clearer than if there's a computer in the way. Do you find that people who play the game necessarily know that you used a physical model? Because going into the game without any background or other knowledge, it looks like it could have been 3D animated. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched um, like Let's Play videos where like, it's a good, like, 15 minutes in um, and someone's gone, this is amazing. I mean, you know, they... they 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 look like they've tried to go for the effect of this being made really by hand, and then a little something's popped up on the channel saying, uh, 
like you know overlaid text saying uh we did some research and it is actually made by hand <laughs> so you know no it I, I don't mind either way it shouldn't just be about the fact that it's made i'm really pleased that that happened because the guy was enjoying the gameplay without even knowing how it was built and that's the important thing um this isn't just a gimmick to go oh look we're doing something different look at us because of this it's because it really helped us create a world and an atmosphere and tell the story and all the little details all that kind of stuff exactly you're not hammering them over the head with it no right. now this set that you created has so many intricate parts both stationary and moving lights windmills and so much more what was the most challenging feature of Lumino City to create mm, good point I mean that's really tough because everything was uh, but in a different way so um trying to think I mean there were things that were just sort of challenging in terms of just a lot of work so I had to animate a lot of that character by hand um she runs around you know and she has to cast a realistic shadow and all that kind of stuff and that was a lot of that was me just having to do some legwork there um but yeah in terms of the more interesting stuff is the is how we built the city itself and so I suppose the challenging stuff was that was like making a windmill work um like uh, and we were trying to figure out okay do we do this with stop motion well yeah but then you don't get the nice motion blur and we wanted to do as much in camera as possible so in the end I just rather I thought I might have to buy like a I don't know a 200 pound 500 dollar like low geared motor to make this thing turn and then discovered that I could for like five dollars I could buy one uh, off the internet and buy a microwave motor instead. So I just ended up with a tiny little microwave motor inside, which did the job perfectly. Um, so there were all these little challenges along the way. Um, and probably, uh, I think the toughest one was the moving city at the end, which is a, um, it's like a, an apartment block where, where every single block can move in and out. And it's this space that you have to traverse. You have to. It becomes a three D moving maze. And we were like, God, how are we going to do this in camera? We thought about systems of camshafts and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, and in the end, stop motion was the only way that we could do that. And still, that became a massive, massive headache because. It, it needed to move in time and every every block had to be in the right place for it to even be a puzzle otherwise if one's in the wrong place you could easily run run through it um and i developed a whole yeah system of doing that and i'd never made i'd never done any stop motion before um a lot of people think that the whole game is stop motion and that we're stop motion experts but actually that was the first time i'd ever done stop motion and 90 percent of this is actually just filmed just letting the camera roll moving the camera around the city. Wow, very impressive. And if I understand correctly, you worked for a full year to create the set and then did all the filming in just a single day? Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah, that was high pressure, that was. Um, I mean, we didn't, you know, forcefully want, like, like want to put that pressure on ourselves, but the we, we filmed it with a motion control camera, which is, you know, a huge robot arm, uh, which is often used in TV and film. And, you know, it's generally out of the reach of budgets of small indie companies. So they don't have, a, you know, they they don't have a a, uh, a pricing scheme for indie games companies. And it's it costs about, I don't know, say $3,000, at least $4,000 per day to rent. And so that meant 
yeah, because this is all self-funded, we were just like, well, we, we'll just do this in a day. And, I mean, it sounds impossible with the entire game to film in a day, but when we lived with it for a year by that point, and, you know, I'd, right from the beginning to the end, I'd taken it, I don't, uh, you know, along with everyone on the team and with the architects that we work with as well, we understood the story so much and we were kind of seeing it in our sleep by then that by that critical point, that one day, that was all we could think about anyway. So I couldn't do it in a day now, but by then I was just like a luminosity making machine. <laughs> <laughs> and after working on that set for an entire year, I mean, this is not a digital set where you can just archive it to an external hard drive or upload it to the cloud. This is a physical set that takes up physical space. What do you do with it when you're done with it? I put it in my studio and I look at it like we've got, <laughs> like I'm doing now. It's just, um, it's in the corner of our studio uh, in bits, uh, fitted wherever we, we can, uh, yeah, we can find space. So it's built on a scale that fits our studio, which is big enough for about four or five people. And we've got rid of a little, little lounge area <laughs> so and that's taking up that space now but it's it's toured the country a little bit it's been up to um the game city festival in nottingham where we did a huge exhibition on it um and we put it all back together for that and um and it's been Somerset, an exhibition in somerset house in london uh, and also an exhibition at the vna museum in london as well so yeah i mean we're, we're hoping that a lot more people will get to see this. And now there's an audience that understand what it is and have played the game. I think it'll be a whole, whole lot more magical for people to see this at exhibitions and events. As you port the game to other platforms, do you ever have to go back to the set and do some pickup shots? No, that was one thing where that, that was what made it a pressure situation because the lighting setup and all that kind of stuff had to, um, basically everything would have to match. We could, we, we, there's no way we would be able to match the same shot again um we could do interiors again because that's where the camera cuts and we can get we could get away with replacing replacing them with a different interior but we haven't had to so far we've we made this game with multiple platforms in mind from the beginning so 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 far uh, it seems to work and until someone asks us to make it for oculus rift oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> That would be both amazing and a bear to work on. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, maybe let's just 3D scan this whole thing and we can do it that way. I don't know. <laughs> not, not yet. So I first encountered Lumino City when it was included last summer in the Leading Ladies 2 Humble Bundle. How did you go about creating the characters and especially the protagonist for Lumino City? Um, I think the fact that she was female was um, a suggestion of my co-director Catherine um and we've been discussing the work um you know the tomb like tomb radio and strong female leads and um and I I really liked the dynamic that would be set up with a daughter and the grandfather which is maybe I mean, it's quite explicit I suppose in both of them it's set it's set up in the original uh prequel to this loom but he's a handyman and he's incredibly practical uh, and the whole game, Lumino City, is really about the handing down of skills and the daughter just learning everything that he's learned in the process of, uh, of fixing up this city as you go through and not learning it, um, not learning it like you would at school, like because you have to, but because she wants to 
she wants to help him and save him and and um he becomes sort of naturally interested in that and i think that's the best that uh, it, it struck me as a nice thing and that uh, and something that i experienced myself um with my dad for example um who's uh he's a silversmith but you know we grew up making things in a workshop together and i've picked up you know had the right tool how to use the right tool for the job just by accident just by sort of watching him and him letting me do stuff um so that was something and i thought it would be a nice yeah a nice dynamic between a, a daughter well a young girl and a um and a granddad now you mentioned the work on the previous game loom what aspects of that original game might veterans of the series pick up in the sequel for example i came into this into lumino city having not played the original so what what am, what am i missing um, you should be able to pick up Lumino City without missing much because we we, um, we begin Lumino City with the end of Loom. Um, Loom is, uh, I mean, it, it establishes a little relationship between the two, but actually for most of Loom, Grandad isn't in it either. Um, he gets whisked away at the beginning of Lumino City and then you have to find him. I mean, you'll you'll be, if you've played Loom, and you play Luna City, you'll be familiar with the way things work. Um, and you'll be hopefully sort of have an understanding of, okay, there are going to be lots of mechanical puzzles surrounding things, but you know, there's no need for you to do one before the other. You may even do, want to do it the other way around and get a lot out of it that way. Cause it'll be a sort of nice little, Oh, this is where, this is where the whole story came. Do you find a lot of people are going back to the original now that Lumino City is out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've definitely seen uh, sales of Loom go up, and, and but it, you know, it's a different thing. It was done a few years before. It's a lot smaller. I mean, you could get through the game in an hour. So you know, we're we're trying to be quite clear about this. This is not on the scale of Loom No City. You know, and it wouldn't exist. Loom No City would not exist without Loom. It was it was a way for us to see whether this was possible, and the fact that it was a success and it got nominated for you know IGF award. Um, that is what gave us the the impetus to go on and make Lumino City. And Lumino City isn't the only app you've come out with lately. You extensively documented the process of creating Lumino City while you were in the trenches and in the weeds, and thus, as a result, produced the Making of Lumino City app, which is an eight-part documentary, an interactive novel, basically, that people can explore to learn more about the game as creation. What prompted you to release that free companion to the game? Uh, when we were making it, we just knew that what we were doing was interesting to us. Like we knew that what we were working on, what we had in front of us was more than, um, it's more than just someone looking at a screen and, and we wanted to share this, this process. And when we just, when we saw something that we liked, we just take a photograph of it. And so we ended up with three years worth of this stuff. And throughout the process, like people came in like a few students came in like interviewed us and we ended up with video footage and and um it just felt like there was a story we wanted to tell there and rather than just doing a film on it we thought well, wouldn't it be cool if people could actually get their fingers on the way that we made this and so if you get the making of app um from the from the app store then you'll be able to do some of the like the motions with the camera yourself like the motion control camera really was controlled with uh, a PlayStation controller, like a hacked one. Um, and so we give you a controller on the screen and you can move the camera left and right. Um, so we can dive people into the process. And I just wanted to get people excited about the way that we've made it and maybe come across the game 
that way as well. I think it's a wonderful piece that you put together. I'm a big fan of not only director commentaries and the like, but also just any sort of capturing of history. The hardest thing to do to capture history is to be there when it's happening, as opposed to after the fact, trying to get together everything that you remember later. And it was so foresightful of you to have created the information that goes into this app. And I'm really glad that you've made it publicly available like that. Oh, I'm pleased. And yeah, you made me think like, yeah, it actually, you're right. It's, it would have been a lot harder to go back and do this later. And we'd have misremembered stuff. But what you see there, that is all truth that, you know, all that stuff happened. And we've, uh, um, yeah, because we scanned in all our sketches and stuff, you can really feel the progress of um, the creative process we, we went through. I've been playing Luminosity on my fourth generation Apple TV, for which Luminosity is one of the very first games. And there's a lot of risk and a lot of challenge involved in being one of the first games for a new platform. So what was it like being one of the first game developers for tvOS? It was kind of thrilling for us because it happened so quickly. Like... Um, Soon as it was announced, um, we we thought, wait, this could be, you know, Luminosity could be a good launch title for it. You know, the process turned out to be one that, di- you know, it didn't take too long because it's based on technology that we were developing for iOS. So relatively quickly, we could we got a, a re- version up and running for for tvOS. I mean, it needed a lot of work to kind of you know fine tune the interactions and uh, and get that working but um i think it it just was one of those things that came about at the right time we were just about to launch our ios version um the all these things happened all at once so, um it was pressure because of that like we, we were pretty much simultaneously launching on ios and tvos so poor dan our developer was suddenly like had three weeks to pull this together in addition to the work that he already had um so that's why, yeah, it was sort of seat of the pants type stuff, and we didn't we didn't know um, right up until the last minute whether or not we were going to get that front page feature. So, and when we did, it's just yeah, <laughs> it made it all worthwhile. Oh man, yeah, as a game dev, there isn't much better feeling than that. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, one of the difficult things to do on the iOS platform is to stand out because there are so many hundreds and thousands of games on there. But with tvOS, you occupy a much larger percentage of the real estate out there. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we were really, really keen on getting that front page feature. I mean, especially in the first weeks, I don't think there was any way of finding things or searching for things that weren't on the front page. I think you know things have got uh, got better, and the store will will definitely improve, but. Um, yeah, that it, it was just we couldn't have asked for more really to be to be one of the launch titles. That that the timing of that was just perfect. And you mentioned at the top of the show that you're taking a brief break before working on porting Luminosity to other platforms. I'm hoping one of them might be the Wii U, for which the touchpad and the gamepad interface would be, I think, a good fit. Can you give us any hints or indicators as to what the future of Luminosity is? Well, I'd like to bring it to as many platforms as possible. Um, and yeah, we're just uh, the technology is the, is going to be the key to that. I mean, just how how we can port this. Um, you know, it took a year to take it from PC to iOS, um, and it's just it's one that's been made in a in a way like we weren't following any textbooks. <laughs> we were we we know our tools, but 
you know, the animation, for example, is done in Flash, and then, you know, we're using various different technologies and hacking them in a way to make them work for us. Uh, so putting them, you know, it just depends whether or not we can get these things working on console. So um, I can't promise anything at the moment. There are de- I can tell you that, yeah, we've been talking to um, the major console <laughs> manufacturers and the, uh, they're keen, but... Yeah, we can't promise anything. <laughs> can't promise anything yet until we've done some more tests. So it will be it, there'll be more news basically, probably middle of this year. Excellent. And can you remind our listeners where they can follow you to make sure that they hear that news? Uh, yeah, sure. If you follow us on Twitter, we are uh, our Twitter handle is at state underscore of underscore play, um, or just search for state of play, and uh, and you should find us. And um, our website as well. Uh, you can sign up to a mailing list there as well if you want. And that is uh, stateofplaygames.com. Excellent. And those looking for specifically Lumino City can find it at luminocitygame.com. Luke, thank you so much for your time. It's been fun playing Lumino City and learning more about its amazing creation. I appreciate your time. It's amazing. Thanks. Thanks for the, thanks for the uh, interview. It's great. This has been Indie Cider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.